And now, deep thoughts. Hey, you are listening to the Deep Thoughts Podcast, where we explore one aspect of the Christian faith a little more deeply. I'm your host, Matt Schantz, and in this episode, I'm talking with my good friend, Jeff Bucknam, lead pastor of Northview Community Church, about depression. Especially how, as Christians, we should view and interact with and respond to depression in our lives and those we love. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. Let's get started. Hey, Jeff. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I feel welcome. Good. I'm glad you do. Mm -hmm. And in this windowless room, that's actually saying a lot. I'm glad. With a fake brick wall. Yeah. It's great. Brick classy place. It's great. Um... We've been friends for quite a long time. We have. I remember the day you moved to Canada from New Zealand. <laughs> I remember the day I moved to Can- from uh, New Zealand to Canada as well. And we showed up. Matt and I worked together as... Uh, I was the young adults pastor at Northview Community Church. And you were, at that point, a half-time young adult director. Am I right? You, yes, you got it. Yeah. And uh, you did a lot of worship stuff and, and uh, other things. And we... We hacked together a young adults ministry that the Lord put his hand on and blessed. It was really cool. Yeah. I really liked it. It was a lot really of fun. Cool. Really yeah. enjoyed it. It was about a couple of years, year and a half or something like that. And I learned a lot from you. Yeah, it was fun. Um, also, um, Central and Northview kind of have a connection, I would say. We have, we have a former elder of Northview, Jason Walls, on our staff. Yeah. Chris Ross was a director at Northview, as I was, and so we have this good connection. Um and uh, whenever, you know, people are in Abbotsford or whatever, we tell them to check out Northview and you guys have done the same for us. We have people from Northview have moved to Chilliwack and come out to Central or whatever. And so very much a sister church. And so because... Uh, Even in the same denomination. And in the same denomination. Yep. And since Central was founded in 1944, not the 80s, we, we like to refer to you as our little sister. Good. Northview as our Good. little sister. It's our 40th anniversary this year. Really? It's our yeah, 75th I, this year. Good for you. Are you having a party? I, I, hear, I hear we will. Yeah, you're, May not lo- sure, you're not sure. May long weekend. I think there's going to be a big cake. Okay. And, yeah, yeah, we're supposed. To, I I just figured it out. Like next November is our uh, is our anniversary for the 40th anniversary. We looked on the on the calendar, and we'll we'll have some sort of something. Oh, some sort of something. Yeah. 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 Cake, probably cake. That's in the works too yeah. for us. Some sort of something. We'll figure it out. And that's that's great. cool though. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's not. It, there are a lot of churches that don't make it 75 years or 40 years. Yeah. And so it is a it is a remarkable thing. If you think about it, there's very few churches that would make it a hundred years. Church, this church, day, churches this are, day and age. The landscape in Canada is a lot of churches are closing. Yeah. Like five thousand more in the next ten years or something like that is the is the guesstimate. It's like ugh. Yeah. So it's really cool to see churches that have uh, gone that kind of length of time and are growing and flourishing. Yeah. And we give thanks to God for that. Yeah. My philosophy on that is let's look in, let's look at the past, celebrate it for a quick minute, and then let's fix our gaze ahead again and good keep going. As long as the celebration includes pie or cake. Right. But pie, pie is better than cake. Right. Because you're a Mennonite church. Are you getting people saying, make sure there's Mennonite foods? This year, do you have that our, contingent? Well, this year we had a fall kickoff type thing, and they made oh help me now. What's the name of the Raukuken bread? Is that what Fospa? that is? I have no Raukuken. idea. Raukuken. Raukuken, which tastes just like a bad donut. 
Yeah. From my point of view, this is an outsider coming in. Just yeah, so you know, yeah. I think Mennonites do pierogies wrong. And then they—they're like, you have to they have cottage cheese. You in have there. to have uh, the watermelon with it to make it better. Oh, and I'm like, well, that's what I always hear too. It's of like, course no. you do, because watermelon has taste, <laughs> and the other thing doesn't. It tastes like fried bread. <laughs> we're adopted in Mennonite. You know, here we are, lead pastors of Mennonite churches, and we're like, we're not quite sure about all that stuff. Anyways, uh, our our conversation in this episode is actually about uh, depression. Mm. And I'm really thankful you're willing to have that conversation with me. Uh, for our listeners, would you mind like defining what we would mean by depression, what, how you would define depression, and maybe just tell a little bit about your own experience with yeah, it? Yeah, my fear in defining it is that I'm going to totally, uh, there will be somebody who's got a psychiatric background is going to say, that's yeah. not what depression yeah, is. For sure. Uh, so I am not in any way defining it in a way that's official the pastor's or version. accepted, but... Uh, well, I'll define it in the way that I've I've had to deal with it. Uh, I, I have been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, and it is the overwhelming sense that all is lost at some point, or just an inability to get up, not from the couch, but just get up in your emotions to feel like there's a there's like an emptiness or a, a pointlessness in things. And even though you know differently, that's the hard part. You know differently. In your head, you can keep repeating to yourself differently that somehow the emotions don't follow what you're thinking. And, you know, I'm not, I've always thought of myself as not a crier, but for some reason I just, you know, you just sit there and you're like, why, why am I, I mean, you know why you're crying because you feel so empty and so sad, but you're not sure exactly why it's controlling you, um, so I don't know. I, for years, uh, I've struggled with this for years. I didn't know that I, I, t- I was a typical guy and that I would say, so I, my first kind of bout with it was in college and uh, I was overwhelmed to the point even of suicidal thoughts in college at that point and um, eventually kind of came out, didn't seek any kind of medical attention or stuff. I just thought, you know, you just have these periods of melancholy. My girlfriend had dumped me at the time, and so you could point to that and say that. But it, but mm. it affected me on a level that didn't, you know what I mean? It shouldn't affect you that much. Um, I didn't like her that much, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but it did. It just overwhelmed me. And then there have been periods through my life in the different stages I've been in where I just get, I sink down into this place for... You know, uh, sometimes a few months at a time. Sometimes I've, I've been, always been like, well, maybe it's weather related. Or I mean, I, but the problem is I lived in, in a place in New Zealand that had 310 sun, days of sunshine a year. So it wasn't really, I was still struggling with it a bit there. But moving back to North America has, and especially the, the Vancouver area has, you know, the winter is particularly hard. But I was starting to have difficulties with it. You know, in in May, which was normally like one of the happiest months, because you're like, oh, spring is on the way, and the flowers are blooming, and love is in the air, or whatever it is that you. Uh, but I was feeling this overwhelming sense of um, sadness and meaninglessness, and so finally, I went uh, at the behest of my wife, who for probably four years has tried to say, "Can you please see a doctor? Can you please see a doctor?" Mm-hmm. And you know, typical guy, no. Why would I need to see a doctor, right? I can fix this. I can fix anything, yeah, right? right? Yeah. The, the problem is that I'm just not gutting it out. Or, you know, as a pastor, one of the challenges is you're like, the problem is I'm not believing the gospel enough, which mm. is probably true. Um, mm. 
But even even in that, people people give you like, well, you need to stop eating sugar. Okay, I'll do that for a little while. Uh, you need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this. You know, it's aspartame, Jeff. That's the problem because you drink Coke Zero. Okay, I'll stop doing that for a little while. And it just none of it really made an impact. Um, eventually, I just got to the point where I, I was so overwhelmed with sadness, and I said, I told my my mom died a number of years ago, and that just buried me for quite a long time. And so I was able to point to that to say, oh, that's that's why I'm it's just mourning. But it just has it, it kept lasting and lasting. So finally, uh, I went to the doctor. He referred me on to a psychiatrist, which is something that you know every man I know, when they hear that, they're like, "You're gonna, you're gonna make me go see a psychiatrist." I'm like, "Oh, great! Right. I have a shrink now," yeah. you know. Um, but the guy has been really helpful, and they prescribed some medication for me, which has been largely helpful. I mean, it's difficult to get the levels right, so, and they have weird side effects that are hard to sort out. And everybody I've talked to who struggles with the same things, trying to figure out the medication. It's funny though, and once I got on it, you know, people oftentimes don't, or they're not very open or public about it. I'm in a role where I kind of have to be, and my extended absence from the pulpit in my church last summer kind of needed a little bit of an explanation. So I just in passing said in a sermon, hey, I just, you know, had to deal with some mental challenges <laughs> and emotional challenges this last year, and they're finally on drugs, and that's helped me a bit. And uh, the moment you say it out loud, you'd be shocked at how many people come up behind, you oh, know, qu- quiet moments, come up to you and say, you know, I've been on this drug for seven years. I've been on like other pastors. I've been on this. I've been on this. I've been on this. Did it feel like the floodgates opened quite a bit? When yeah, a lot of people have come and spoken to me about it. It's not, you know, I I don't know if... I, I've always been honest, uh, I, I hope, in, in my ministry. I hope, you know, the places where I find it difficult to obey the Lord, I try to point out. And the ways that in the past I haven't done it right, I point out. Because I think that all of us are in a fight, ultimately, right? It's a sanctifying fight, and I don't always get it right. But uh, I am hopefully a repenting sinner and continually want the Lord's work in my life. And uh, it goes in fits and starts. And in this way, uh, this, this, I've, I've pleaded with God. It's funny, the language of Paul, right, with the thorn in the flesh. But I have pleaded with the Lord to, I don't want this. I don't want to yeah. deal with this. It's very hard to deal with, especially in my role. There are days I preach, have to preach sermons on Saturdays that we have a Saturday night service and then two Sunday and there are days on Saturday that I honestly feel like I would rather die than preach a sermon. And I, I, I've had to, I've stood behind uh, the. There's a curtain that I walk behind just because uh, of a series of reasons. Some of it has to do with my mental health in order to go and preach my sermon, and then. And I've stood back there and and thought, Lord, is there any way that this can't happen, please? <laughs> and then you go, you go, and you do it. And the Lord is always faithful. He's always been gracious and kind to do His work. And then you know, yeah. So anyway, that's that is a shorter version of the story, but probably longer than some might want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Thank you for sharing it. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, you know others coming to you once you had shared your own experience with it a bit, and and statistically speaking, depression is on the rise, and the largest increase in diagnosis is actually among teens and young adults, mm. um, disproportionately. 
And I've read about it being attributed to busyness or a lack of community or screen time and social media, right? They lead to isolation and the sense that there's no one to turn to when they feel hopeless. Like they're trying to come to terms with why it's on the rise. So that's exactly what I want. What I have a theory. Is this theory? Well, I have two theories. Okay. Uh, one is simply, I don't think it's on the rise. I think it's being recognized more. Hmm. Yeah. And the reason I say that, so... Uh, so part of this has been me. I mean, I love church history. And so there have been uh, friends of mine who said, Hey, have you ever read about Spurgeon or you have, have you ever read about William Cooper or have you ever read about, you know, and then they fill in the blank with some pastor, some person in the history of the church, you know, a missionary or somebody else, uh, who, who had what they called melancholy in the, in those days. Right. And then you read about them. And man, it sounds like the stuff I deal with. Like Spurgeon, there's a book called Spurgeon's Sorrows yeah. uh, that I would recommend. It's a good book um, that I read. And I was like, wow, this, this is fascinating. He really did struggle with these feelings that, I, that I, I have similar feelings. And Cooper, who wrote some great old hymns, he struggles with some feelings kind of on, on a level that I don't think I struggle with. It sounds like he... He was just, you know, in bed at times, and he had a friend, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, used to come and visit him all the time and say, dude, you're, you're okay. Whereas Cooper's like, no, nah, I'm not okay. And so, I, my, my take is that it, throughout history, people just said, well, he's just more melancholic, or he, he struggles with, you know, he's just sat, a sadder person. When I think that he perhaps struggled with some... some um, brain chemistry issues, perhaps, that, that lent him that particular direction. We live in a day where we have medication that can help for that kind of thing. In the same way, there was a period of time where people didn't have penicillin or people didn't have uh, certain ways to deal with, deal with their diabetes, but they do now. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you wouldn't say diabetes is on the rise, although maybe it is, I don't know, because of our eating and stuff. But I would say that the that that it is possible that some of the, this stuff is on the rise. Some of the mental uh, health issues are on the rise because of some other reasons. But I also think that we're just recognizing it more as a, something that we can diagnose and treat a little bit more so we keep better count now. Mm-hmm. My second theory uh, is more worldview-y, I guess. It, and it, it's that I, I think that in uh, the Western world in particular and the, in the Enlightenment West... We have been told that uh, our lives will be great and that we can stave off all sorts of stuff. Like I never said, Matt, I didn't see if my, like the first dead body I saw might have, might have been my mother's at age 40 or 39. Hmm. So in, in ages past, that never happened. The right. first dead body you saw was your grandparents who were living with you and you walked in on your dead grandmother or like death was very near yep. to you. And you would watch people die. You would watch them die, and you would recognize, too, that, that you didn't have, you know, people didn't have enough insurance to stave off all the difficulties. And so, the expectation for how our lives should go, especially in the suburban West, with our high incomes and all the ways that we have to stave off, you know, illness. Gosh, I think about, whenever, have you ever come across somebody and they're like, well, I went to the doctor and they said they didn't know what it was. And we're kind of like, What? What do you mean the doctor didn't know what it was? That's his job, just know what it is. 
But the idea that they don't know sometimes and they can't figure out exactly how to cure this, whether it's the coronavirus or whatever, they don't know exactly how to deal with this. We're like, wait a minute, we're supposed to have these wonderful lives with garages and two cars and our kids are supposed to be well and I'm supposed to live for a long time and not have cancer and everything's supposed to go. I actually think that most of us in the West feel that that's the way it's supposed to go. And so, as a friend of mine said one time, he's a Russian guy and he was sitting in a class with me and people were sharing all their... their, their um, their needs uh, about prayer, and a lot of it had to do with my foot hurts and my spleen hurts and my whatever. And this guy leaned over to me, it's my Russian friend, and said, you, you Americans, uh, life surprises you. Huh. And I thought, I thought since, yeah, actually, life surprises me. And I think that part of the problem is that our expectation is so high and the delivery is so low that we don't know what to do with that gap. And so we get sad about that gap. And so generally, I think that people tend to be sadder, especially young people, because they've been promised, I think, a world where, you know, you go get your college degree and everything will be awesome. But they get out and they're working at the same Starbucks they worked at when they were in grade 12. And they're like, well, wait a minute, that was I was sold a pretty cruddy bill of goods. Now I'm in debt, $100,000, and I don't have any prospects. And this this is a joke. And so they get sad because of all of those circumstances. And then, so, but, but I don't want to say that that's the only thing. I actually want to say that that's part of the play. Some of the stuff that you mentioned is part of the play, but then ultimately I think that there are also brain chemistry issues for people. I know that that's one of the challenges I have, is that I, right. like, my brain is broken. Right. There's, there seems to be less stigma, right, um, about depression or about taking medication or seeing a therapist, psychiatrist, going to counseling. Um, but, but it does also feel like, it, it, you know, out of the other side of my mouth that there's a long way to go still. You find out that someone you love has cancer and the meal train starts. What do you need? Can I give you a ride? You find out someone has depression and there's not usually a meal train. Right? No, there's, or, a, there's a toughen up mentality that, that, yeah. I, well, that, we, that we all have, you know. Oh, you're just one of those types of people who takes things too seriously, or you think too hard about stuff. You need to stop thinking. About it. You know, one of my favorite things that people say is take a vacation. My psychiatrist, he's a funny guy. He's like, I said, would that help? Take a vacation? He goes, to no. A, to you a just sunny be, place? Yeah, it's always a sunny place. He said, well, Ireland. Ireland in winter. He said, look, I get it. Most people would say that's, that's, that's good if they generally, you know, if the, if the problem is the rain. But he said, you'd just be sad by the pool. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He I said, know. I guess the good news is you'd be by the pool. Uh, but I, which I, I tended, so my, my point is, at least in my case, that's, right. that's not the case. But some people would say that. But most people think, well, it's, it's fixable by just a simple switch, right? So sugar or, uh, or gluten or, uh, which, you know, by the way, if that works for somebody, praise God. Right. Like if you are have been eating too much sugar and you end up cutting your sugar out and you feel better, man, I'd be the first person to say, awesome. You know what helps me? What I've learned, I'm on a medication, but if I just am on the medication and I don't do, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of, of like dedicated exercise, like sweat inducing exercise hmm. in a day, I tend to descend in the evenings into dark places. So I have to go home from work maybe an hour early and I have to get on my on my um, my Nordic track cycle and ride it for 45 minutes 
and it helps me a lot. So figure out what helps you. My doctor's been saying, yep, endorphins are great, and that kind of stuff is great. That's really good. Because it seems like we're more adept at addressing a broken bone than a broken brain. Like, what? Like why, though? Because we believe in the physicality of our world sometimes and not the immaterial, right? We live in a world that, that is heavily influenced by naturalism, and the only real things are physical things. And so if it's physical, it can be fixed. And we can go to the doctor, and he can stitch it up. Right. Or even if it's, uh, you know, even if it has to do with, you know, uh, cancer in your body, we can actually take a take a picture of it. And but when you get deal with the immaterial, when you deal with the soul and you deal with the immaterial mind, Mm -hmm. sometimes it gets a little bit dodgy uh, and it's hard to to deal with. I do think, though, you know, one of the if if people one of the reasons why I, I'm not ashamed to tell people I take medication is if I did have diabetes and I took medication for it, you'd be like, Oh, good for you. That's yeah, smart. That's really smart. And I would say now, after being pushed into it, uh, if I struggle with, with major depressive disorder and I'm, you know, clinical psychologist psychiatrist or whatever have verified that, then why wouldn't I take medication for something? I'm not, I do believe that we have a soul. And I also do believe in this case, actually, this is a physical challenge for me, but my brain doesn't work properly. So why do we have that? Which, double- by the way, everybody would have agreed with prior to <laughs> uh-huh, this. They would have uh-huh. said, finally, somebody <laughs> said it. Yeah, yeah. We knew it. Uh, um, so, but why do we have that double standard? Why does that? Why is that double standard out there? You have diabetes. You should take medication for it. You have depression. You shouldn't medicate. That might be some faith thing, right? So lack of it. So who? Do, I guess it, so I would say it's really hard for Christians, and and I'll tell you why. Uh, like the thing that you you're pointing out is a is particularly more difficult, I think, for Christians because uh, the people who deal with the physical infirmities are doctors of medicine, right? They're people who do their study on biology and figure out how the body works. So who deals with uh, illness of the soul? Well, I would say pastors. I would say people who are theologians, pastors, mm-hmm. people who are like, that historically they would have been called that, doctors of the soul. And so if, you are, if you're a Christian, you feel like you should have the solution, and that ultimately you do, you, you, you have the solution for a sick soul. That ultimately your sick soul will be ultimately healed by God forever. Ultimately, yeah. Well, I'm saying ultimately because... I, I think that there's a little theological, uh, not secret, but a, th- a theological truth that goes unnoticed by a lot of people, and that is that we, we, we live, according to the Apostle Paul, between the ages. We, we believe, live in a time where Christ and His kingdom have come, past tense, and they are coming, future tense. We, we live between the age that's passing away, according to Paul, and uh, the, what's the present age that's passing away, and the age to come, which has already been inaugurated in Christ. And so we live in this overlap of the ages, and because we live in this overlap of the ages, we can say we already have freedom from sin, we already have healing in our bodies, we already have healing in our souls, but not yet mm-hmm. do we have the, the full kingdom, not yet do we have the healing in our bodies, not yet do we have the healing in our souls. Yep. How much of already you should expect and how much of not yet you could expect is, we could debate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that most Christians think soulishly that they should be totally healed. 
like their soul should be pure and fixed and awesome. But I'm saying that, no, there's a sanctifying work going on in your soul and your body. And ultimately, Jesus will bring you safely home. But you will, in this time frame, ebb and flow when it comes to these issues and struggle in this in this day and age. And it should be okay not to be okay. It should be okay for us to say, you know what, I'm not well mm-hmm. at the present moment. I'm struggling with these particular feelings. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with uh, m- m- mental unsuredness, what- whatever. I'm struggling with this sort of stuff. And that's normal. Does It won't always be like that, right? Yeah. So we have been just these theological language. We have been justified. We're being sanctified, but not yet glorified. Right. We don't. We're not in resurrected bodies. No. Yet, and so, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, the Apostle Paul, right? He's he has this thorn in his flesh that's tormenting him, and he's like, "I want this gone," and he pleads with God, and that it isn't, and we don't really know what that thorn is. But yeah, it's not it, taken. Yeah, and th- th- I'll be honest with you, some of the. Uh, if you don't mind me just having a go at one of the big false teachings of the day, you know, some of the a lot of people have adopted a little bit of prosperity thinking. And so the prosperity movement, prosperity gospel really is emphasizing on the, the already. That's what they're saying is that you can have everything now you can have, think, look at all the promises given to the people in, in, in uh, Psalms or look at all the things, you know, look at all the promises of the, the kingdom when it comes and the kingdom has come. Therefore you should have all of it right now. Well, there's like a half truth in that. Yes, there is. The, we, the kingdom has come. There is healing. We pray for healing, and we've seen some people healed. Mm-hmm. But there's also a not yet, and the not yet means that God in His sovereign plan has chosen not to heal completely yet. He will. But we tend to have this viewpoint that's you know that God wants the good life for us. God wants the happiness. God wants all that stuff in this present time. And so as a result, we expect something from God. It doesn't deliver, and then we get really sad. In fact, sometimes I think even question our faith totally because our faith was in a version of the gospel that was more prosperity-ish mm. than it was the real gospel, which is, hey, I'm I've saved you. I'm saving you, and I will save you. But in the in this time, there's going to be a bit of a fight in it. Right, it's going to be an ebb and flow, and I, I want you to persevere and continue to walk with me. Yeah. So you actually do have your doctorate. So if there's any, if there's any <laughs> pastor who should be called a, a doctor of the soul, Jeff, you are one of them. <laughs> I am one of them. Yeah. Um, I could be called an undergraduate of the soul <laughs> guy. Good. Which is you know, yeah, pretty solid. Um. <laughs> Can you maybe round out a little bit your pastor? Like you know and love the Bible. I do. You love Jesus. Like, how, how do you? What does a kind of a theology around depression like look like? What if like what what have you made of it? Because because I look I open the Bible and I'm like man it's full of sorrow. Yeah. But like what do we make of it? Like how how do we? Come to terms with being a follower of Jesus. Well, that fact that you just pointed out is one. Like so so. Like I just said, that there there are voices in the Christian church that are pressing you toward, you know, every day in every way, feeling better and better, and uh, prosperity and victory and fullness and breakthrough, and you hear that language, and I'm I'm saying that that sells books and it gets a lot of crowds. It's a rah rah talk, and there is a, an aspect of that that should be emphasized because the Bible at points does emphasize that. Right, victory over sin, the great hope we have in heaven, how should it influence the present day, all of that. However, 
that other aspect also needs to uh, needs to be emphasized and embraced as well. That yeah, the psalmists say, "How long, O Lord?" And you know, why why is my soul so downcast within me? Do you know how many times I've prayed that prayer? Yeah, right. I do not know why. Mm. Psalm forty two. I don't. I don't know why my soul is so downcast within me. Hmm. Well, the scriptures end with "Come, Lord Jesus." I know. <laughs> it's like, why would we want that if, right. if it was all right? So I. Faithful people of God throughout the history of the church have struggled. Jesus himself in the garden struggled to make sense of everything. And you will, you will struggle to make sense of things at points. Uh, I, I, what I want to say to people is that's normal. That's, nor- that's a normal part of Christian life. You don't always have to be happy. You don't always have to be you know, put together. You don't, it doesn't, your house doesn't always need to be in order. You, you don't need to feel guilty for not, if, and add extra guilt on yourself because you, you're you not living up to whatever standard the prosperity-ish thinking is, has given us. It's okay to not be okay. It's also, you know, it's in, also in the darkness that you give thanks that, that the Lord, lay through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear no evil, I will feel no, fear no evil, for you're with me. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's also great times where he leads us by green pastures and takes us by still waters. And so, both of those are true, and God is with us in both of them, and that ultimately, I I think uh, we will look back and we will rejoice that he has been faithful to us in in all those times. So, I really have an issue with false guilt in the church. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that people feel false guilt over things that are not moral. This is not a moral issue. Yeah, right. That's really helpful. Um, that probably leads to the, the final thing I want to ask you is, is how, how you would counsel people with depression, uh, how you would counsel people you know, in the church. They mm. love Jesus. They're feeling depressed. Or people who don't know what that road is like at all. They can't imagine it. And so therefore, sometimes they don't. Yeah. I think just having this conversation with you gives a little window into to a little bit about what that road is like. But like at, again, as a pastor, like how, do you, how do you counsel people? Walking this through, like, what, what do you get them to focus on and do? Well, number one, I would say that uh, grief and sadness are normal parts of, of being a healthy human being. So, you, it's, not, it's not necessarily an issue to be fixed hmm. in the present time. I actually think Jesus is going to fix it all at one point. But to expect that it's all going to be fixed in the right now and that you could, tomorrow is going to be a thousand times better and forever. This is just a blip on the radar and it'll, you, do you know what I mean? That... Uh, that you'll be f- fixed and that you can never expect any sadness again, I think is I think is silly. But second, I would also say it is very easy for us to get stuck in a moment that Jesus is returning, that his kingdom has come and will come, that he is working all things out for your good, and that sometimes it's easy for us to get stuck in focusing on the on the sadness and saying, woe is me, when the truth is that actually it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Third, uh, you should see a doctor. <laughs> uh, you know what? And not nothing... wait. And not wait four years. No, Don't no. Wait four there's years, no reason right? to wait. And the truth is, at the end of the day, it's pride. Yeah. And it's a pride in a lot of the stuff that I just that we just mentioned. It's it's the it's fact hard. that well, I don't want to be a Christian. I mean, what do I do? I go the guy who's the my 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 GP, my general practice. You know, he he is a guy who goes to my church. So it's it's hard for me to walk into the church, walk into his office, and say, "Okay, so here's the deal. I'm really sad. 
And last week I preached a sermon to you talking about the joy in the Lord. But I'm going to tell you that I'm really sad. So what, what exactly am I supposed to do? What exactly am I supposed to do about that? Yeah. I, you have to kind of get over that and just say, you know what? Um, it's okay. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day what he or she think of, of you. They're actually there to help. Almost every doctor I know is there to help, and they want to help. And so they'll refer you to somebody who might be able to give you a lot of help. There might be a med- medication that will help you, and you might find that it's fantastic. I actually had one of the wives of one of our pastors in our church came up to me and said, uh, I've been thinking about, I've been sad for like years, and hearing you talk about it has made me want to think about going to the doctor. I said, you should absolutely go to the doctor. She did. She came back. Next time I saw her, she had a medication, just a small dosage of a medication. She said, it has transformed Whoa. my life. And I was like, praise God, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not usually that quick a fix. But for her, it was like, I just, I just feel more me now. So praise God for that Absolutely. right and so if you need to go see a doctor go go see a doctor and i mean at the end of the time at the end of the day uh come lord jesus amen right yeah uh yeah, and yeah, we yeah, look yeah. forward to his return and the day when we won't feel this way yeah. again well i praise god for you thanks, thanks for brother. having uh, this conversation thanks Absolutely. for being open yeah i think it'll be really helpful to a lot of people always great appreciate to see it that. found that conversation with Jeff to be really helpful, really open, really honest, transparent. So I'm grateful that he was willing to do that. And I just hope for an issue that really we're trying to get better at understanding and interacting with as a church, that the content of what you just heard will be helpful with that. We are concluding the second season of the Deep Thoughts podcast. Well, I will give a call to Dr. Nancy Piercy next week to talk about her book, Love Thy Body. Talk to you then. There was this, there's a story I have to tell. Okay. Um, That. Emily and I tell to to this day to many people, so you, you should probably know that. Okay, good. Our oldest son was born the same day your youngest child, your daughter, was born. That's right. And you guys were in the next room. We were. So Emily was uh, in in the process in labor. Yes. And giving birth to our son. Yes. And she had never experienced that before, and it was pretty very intense. It was very very intense. I was very scared. She was in a lot of pain. And uh, the part of the story we tell is that right as my son's ears breached, she yelled out the loudest curse word I've ever heard anyone say, right? Just, that was just her reaction. In other words, the first word my son ever heard was <laughs> his mother cursing. And hopefully those aren't her, the last words he hears. Uh, and uh, anyways, the next day, we visited each other's rooms. I don't know if you remember this, but we saw each other's babies and da, da, da. And Jeannie said to Emily, oh, it was so, something along the lines of it was so sweet. I could hear your, your um, something along the lines of your cries of joy. 
<laughs> and Emily and I looked at each other. We're like, oh boy. Yeah. That was... If you heard those, <laughs> you heard all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we stuff. heard all kinds of stuff, Matt. Now, it, it's good. My wife, we, we all had uh, C-section, so... Uh, she did not a massive amount of screaming, just weeks later feeling uh, feeling difficult. So, like, yes. uh, she understood very much so. Oh. Yeah. I was... didn't at all. I actually, for a lot of years, wondered uh, if that's the kind of language you use around home. Is it, Matt? What's that? <laughs> if we use cursing? Is that what you're saying? No. Like, where'd she learn that word, Matt? That's what I'm asking. Well, she was a new believer at the time <laughs> and uh, hadn't been sanctified yet, Jeff. <laughs> She she now just blesses people Can you imagine only. Imagine having that much pain. Oh my no, word! I felt I just, and I just even witnessing it, I felt like I know what going to war is like. Oh, I know. 